Okay, good morning, everyone. Good morning. So, let me start it. Sorry, I'm sorry for yelling. And I will begin with a word for Father, we turn to you at this time and thank you for the truth of your word and the hope that we have in Christ. And thank you for the ability to meet openly, freely. And now, would you guys, by your spirit in the conversations that we have, and be directed to you and your word, and that we would grow thereby. So, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to continue in our talk with First Peter today. So, a couple folks that bring their notes. That's one so we we looked a little bit at the introductory material the first people last week and I can never get to it there we go we'll continue You know, some discussion about could in fact Peter be the author, did he have enough degree, was he of a professional nature, being a Galilean fisherman and all that. And now we just we just cut to the chase and say it's first Peter, written by Peter, probably around 62 AD, um, as he is prepared to suffer for the cause of Christ. Um, we do know some things about him, just as a way of summary, we go ahead and close this. Of course, we know Peter is one of the apostles, and in the inner circle, James and John, and his name always appears first in every list of the apostles. It always appears first. And he failed, but he also showed courage. We talked a little bit about why he might be presented first, and that was because the Lord had a role for him to play, and being the spokesman for the gospel for... <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me while my wife wants to money change in the temple. <laughs> that had nothing to do with Peter, by the way. It had everything to do with supporting the youth, though, so. Actually, robbing Peter to pay. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Right. Let's redeem the time. So we're, he was listed first among the twelve, but he did have a special leadership role of being used of God to preach the gospel first to the Jews, to the semi or half Jews, then to the Gentiles. Um, and he was restored to spiritual leadership. And so we should not be afraid of seeing Peter as a leader of the early church, even as we don't subscribe to all the traditions and customs that have been given to him down through history. Um, we, we can respect how the Lord used him. We can respect his courage in the Lord. We're not quite sure where he served in ministry. Um, he did go in a number of different places. We, we can record him in the book of Acts. And we can see him in First, uh, first Peter. But after Acts chapter 11, he's no longer the main character in the book of Acts. And so we're not really sure what happened there with the rest of his life, except that he shows up at the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, and then we have two letters towards the end of his life. So where he actually served, we're not sure, but it seems he did spend time in Rome. Yeah? This 
the scripture that talks about where Jesus came in the keys of the kingdom, is that about him opening the doors to those different groups? So the short answer is yes. I see that as part of that fulfillment. Okay, because he gave it to Peter first. He then eventually gave it to the, the whole church because he gave it to all the apostles. But I think there was a special role that he played in announcing that the kingdom of God has arrived, that the gospel has arrived. Um, but even that authority is authority that remains with the church. As the church preaches the gospel and people respond, we can say that they are forgiven and no longer bound in their sins. As they reject the gospel and continue in disobedience, we can declare that they're still bound in their sins. This is an authority that goes to the church writ large, not to any particular expression or particularly one individual, uh, as certain ecclesial communities want to portend. Um, Paul, uh, Peter did end up in Rome at some point. We don't think he was the one that founded the church in Rome. We think that that was probably a collection of disciples that were in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. And perhaps some other business leaders that would have traveled the roads to Rome and, and experienced Christ and brought the gospel there. But... Um, we think he wrote the book, with this speed through here, around 60, early 60s, he would have written the book. He would have been in prison for a time during the persecution of Nero, of the church. Um, and looking at, we're kind of reading between the lines, trying to put dates together. Paul was in prison from 60 to 62 AD. He wrote four letters there and never mentioned Peter once. And yet, so we're not really sure what the connection would have been between the two of them. We just know that eventually they both ended up in Rome and they would die there. So I say he probably wrote this anywhere between 62 and 65 AD. And since we won't give you a quiz and give an exact date, that's just close enough. And probably, well, here we have to talk about where is he writing. He says he's writing from Babylon. Okay? Now, is that Babylon, Babylon? Is that Babylon, the city that's in Mesopotamia? Is that the city that's in Iraq today? Is that Babylon, which was another city in Egypt? Or is Babylon code for the city of Rome? And most of the evidence points to the fact that it's code for the city of Rome. The book of the Revelation, Babylon, is clearly a reference to the city of Rome, the city of seven hills that is corrupt and symbolizes this corrupt society that is rebelling against God. Um, he writes in chapter 5, verse 13, that Mark is with him. And then reading between the lines, putting pieces together, Colossians 4, 10, Mark, Paul says that Mark was with him in Rome. So if Mark was with Paul in Rome... And Peter says Mark is with him. At least it's plausible that it leads to Rome. But clearly, Rome was a pagan city. Yes, there were churches. Yes, there were Christians. But the emperor and the empire itself were in hostility against Christians. And so the book was written to help Christians endure persecution. And it's a letter that has ministered to churches all down through the ages. Because, let's face it, the church has often been a persecuted church. And we sometimes forget, as Western, particularly North American Christians, that it is the norm to not be persecuted. I mean, it is the norm to be persecuted. It is the exception to not be persecuted. 
I sometimes hear American Christians almost get the impression that if the church in America starts to suffer some hard times, that'll be the end. Why would that be the end? It might be the end of our understanding of contemporary events or the end of whatever life or measure of life that we've enjoyed. But we must not project our individual personal experience onto the rest of the world and the rest of church history as if somehow persecution would be abnormal. Not when the history of the church, most of it has experienced persecution and is experiencing persecution today. We should just give thanks to God that we've enjoyed a great measure of peace. But we cannot guarantee that we'll never go through hardship. <coughs> so we need to be careful about projecting we somehow we understand God's timepiece. We know exactly what's going to happen. I was in a meeting the other day with a bunch of men, and one of them said, Oh, the Lord may not be at the door, but I can hear the hinge starting to squeak. It's like, how do you know that? Do you sit in the council of God to know exactly the time that we met? So we need a hermeneutic of humility that maybe we don't know all the answers and maybe we don't have all the P's and Q's in the correct order. And it might be that all of us are in need of a theological correction. So we just need to endure and persevere and live for the Lord today. And that's the purpose of 1 Peter, how to handle persecution. So as we get to the book itself, we start breaking it down. You can see a general structure. <clears throat> Peter's writing to these believers that are scattered. He talks about their salvation, their submission to the Lord, and their suffering because of the Lord. It breaks down in approximately three neat categories, and it then helps us to see the flow of what he's trying to do as he moves through this book. Um, the longer one. If you look at the outline that I have, it's, it's much longer because I would prepare the teaching outline and a preaching outline how I go through the whole book. But under each aspect, we talk about living in holiness, for example. There's holiness in mind and, and action. There's holiness in life. There's holiness in desire. There's holiness as the people of God. There's holiness as strangers. All that within that subsection of holiness. Just to give you an example of how we can break it down. But... I trust you with your Bible to look at it and to get the general flow. And if you were asked to teach through it one day in a home Bible study, you get to look at what some of the main themes are. Which are what? Well, this is a book that is focused on God. It is saturated with God language. And this short letter, 39 times, Peter mentions God. That's his... An incredible ratio when we look at the rest. It's not that God isn't mentioned in any of the other books. Peter is doing something very intentional here. He wants us to be God-focused, and he mentions God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He talks about the name, what God is doing in His ruling, that He is sovereign in all things, even sovereign in our salvation, that He is involved with us in our suffering, that He is just in His judgments. So there's a lot of God focus. And why would that be? Imagine yourself writing to Babylon, writing to the church in Babylon that is suffering. Why would he want to emphasize God and his sovereignty? Why would that be comforting to them? 
through. Not, that they're not going through it or not. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's God's purpose. That, that Nero, who was the emperor at the time, is not ultimately in control. <laughs> and as, as an emperor, he thought he was, and he was persecuting Christians, and they need the recognition that even if they're suffering because they're, in fact, he says, if you suffer because you are a Christian, blessed are you. Yeah. Okay? He's not saying that you'll be free and not ever suffer. He's saying even this is under the control of God and you are blessed if you suffer for my name. So it's not the emperor that is in control. It is the Lord who is in control, even over the emperor. Now in contemporary culture, contemporary events, there's, there's a lot we can talk about. But in the history of mankind, what empire has survived the judgment of God? No. None. None. Okay? So we need to say that. None. So when we think about what is happening in Ukraine with a would-be dictator who wants to rebuild a, an empire, okay? Is that happening outside of the control of God? No. So we, do we need to then fret all the time about what's happening in current events? Or do we cling unto God who is unshakable, whose kingdom is enduring, whose faithfulness is everlasting, and whose presence is continuous. That's how we read the news then. We read the news that there's one God who's in control and His purposes will never change. And we pray then for our, our, our brothers and sisters in Ukraine. I find it very interesting. This is just my comment on my personal observation, but Ukraine had the highest number of evangelicals of the country. Of the former Soviet Union. Thriving, growing evangelical church. In fact, sending out a lot of missionaries. And the agency that I served with for 29 years, I have come to find out, has 120 full time members in Ukraine. So the one country where the church is growing the most is the one that is under this severe attack by a brutal dictator. I mean, I'm not, I just, I find it interesting. And by the way, this dictator. Great article in Daily Telegraph this morning. Daily Telegraph is a newspaper out of England. And it, it talks about uh, the relationship between Putin and the Russian Orthodox Church and how church and state have become unholy wedded in Russian politics. Mm -hmm. And that there's a sense of holy war going on because the Orthodox Church wants to be supreme over that entire area with a glory, with a reconfigurated Russian Federation. Okay? We as American Christians need to beware about closely wedding church and state because we have the kingdom of God. Now we notice it very quickly in other countries when they start to wed them together. Are we as quick to recognize it when we're tempted to do the same? Okay? God is sovereign. God is in control. God's kingdom. His judgments will be just. 39 times the word God appears in this letter. Peter wants the people to understand that it's all about God and what he is doing. Another big thing he talks about in the sufferings of Christ we find in the book of 1 Peter some of the most Challenging and yet wonderfully descriptive and comforting expressions of the sufferings of Christ. It's even the Greek word that we get from where we get the Passover lamb is used. Pasco is used a number of times. Um, 
more times in 1 Peter, talking about the Passover, the suffering of Christ. It's used more times in 1 Peter than in all the rest of the books of the New Testament combined. There's strong atonement language. There's strong sacrificial language in 1 Peter. What Jesus endured for us, and that it is the fulfillment of prophecy. So he's talking to a suffering church, reminding them of the sufferings of Christ on their behalf, and saying what a privilege they have then to suffer on his behalf, for his name, for his cause. Okay? So it's that common thing we see in teaching when you give them something to know, when you give them something to do, and it reminds them of the sufferings of Christ and how it fulfills prophecy and how it's honoring to the Lord. And then he challenges the suffering church in saying, Behold Christ, and consider it a privilege and a blessing to be able to suffer for his cause. Okay, this is Peter who talks about you know, the sufferings of Christ, he talks about the sufferings of the Christian. Then how do you put this out? <laughs> and those that want to emphasize our role before the government, you know, they like to quote from passages in 1 Peter and, and with reason. We're called to submit to the authorities that are over us. And what were the authorities that were over the church when Paul wrote that? I mean, Peter wrote that. Roman Empire. That's challenging, isn't it? You know, when we have some of the leaders that we have... Our first temptation is not to want to submit to them. Amen. My <laughs> brother, I hear you. And yet we sit under that and pray for those in authority over us. Uh, it was a number of years ago that the Lord just, I mean, it just jumped off the page and hit me right in the face. And it was second, it was First Peter 2. And read First Peter 2, starting in verse 13, it says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor supreme, who is the emperor, Nero, or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. And then this was the next verse that God just smacked me. I had to repent on the spot. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. And at that time in our country, we had an emperor. Put it mildly, I didn't like it. And spoke against him at every turn. When I read this verse, and I still have to repent because I don't like the one we have now. <laughs> it's recording. I don't like the one we have now. And yet, what does it say here? Fear God, honor the emperor. Give me the verse again. First Peter, verse two, verses thirteen to seventeen. So this is Peter, who is going to suffer at the very hands of the Roman emperor, the Roman authorities, to say. God's got this. That's why he spent so much time with God talk. Okay? And you're going to suffer. But your sufferings are tied to the fact that Christ suffered for you. Therefore, trust God and suffer as a Christian. And that's a challenge. <laughs> Anyone who says that's easy hasn't thought about it. Okay? Respect and love one another. Respect and love the authority that is there. 
be a Christian. Let's say, be a Christian in the workplace, be a Christian in the public square, be a Christian at home. He talks about uh, prayer in 1 Peter 3. He talks about how a husband needs to deal with his, his wife in a gentle and honoring way. And why? Chapter 3, verse 7. Husband, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker, weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hidden. So my role as the, the priest, if you will, as the head of my home is what? To live with my wife in an understanding way. Why? Because I want God to hear my prayers. <laughs> Okay? So the challenge is there then how to live for Christ in the workplace, how to live for Christ in the home, how to live for Christ before the government. All these things you, you see Paul talking about it, John talking about it, now Peter's talking about it. That's why we preach the gospel to each other. We preach the whole counsel of God, and then we fall before Christ and say, Oh God, have mercy. Lead your church. He talks about the greatness of salvation. Oh, this is this so fun. Peter talks about salvation past, salvation present, salvation future. And you may say, what do you mean? Isn't this salvation? Well, think of how it plays out in our lives. Okay, at the moment that we believe, God takes out our heart of stone, gives us a heart of flesh, we're born again, we say Jesus is Lord, we confess our sins, and we are saved. By grace from punishment of sin. Right? No more condemnation. We are declared righteous. Salvation acts. We are saved from the penalty of sin. But that's not all. Because Paul goes on, what does he say? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling for his God who works in you to will and to work do. <coughs> Apply it. Apply salvation to your life by the power of the Spirit, like we heard this morning, obey the law. Live out the commandments so that as we grow in Christ, we are experiencing, present tense, salvation as we are being saved from the power of sin. Saved from the penalty of sin. We're being saved from the power of sin. That means we should be overcoming. That means we should be growing. That means we should be sinning less, even though we will never become sinless this side of heaven. Okay? We should be able to see growth in our attitudes, growth in our behavior, growth in our understanding of God's Word, growth in the fruit of the Spirit. So we are saved, past tense, from the penalty of sin. We are being saved, continuous present, from the power of sin. We all know we're not there yet, right? That longing, that disconnect, as it were, between what we really long to be and what we will be, but we're not yet. And that's that salvation that's yet to come, where we will be saved from the presence of sin. Penalty, power, presence. We'll be in the new heavens and the new earth, where righteousness dwells. Peter talks about all three. He's a little bit different language. But he talks about salvation, all of salvation. So, yeah, we can ask the question, brother, are you saved? But that's not saying enough. Brother, are you growing? So we can't say, brother, are you being saved? Although that's really what we should be saying, right? And brother, don't you look forward to being saved? Because biblically, all of them are true. 
biblical language, past, present, future. Okay? You might say justification, sanctification, glorification, but positionally and in practice, we grow in what we are in our position, and then we are perfected. Peter talks about all three. All three phases of salvation in this one book. And then he talks about the one people of God. Look at the language that he uses. Chapter 1, verse 1. What's the very first phrase he uses to describe the Hebrews? Pilgrims. Pilgrims. That's actually not the first one. What's the descriptive phrase? What do you have in your Bible here? After Peter, the apostle Jesus Christ, to those? To the pilgrims of the dispersion. I have elect exiles. And what's after that? To the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Tisnia. Elect. Elect. Okay. Okay. He uses the elect. Elect exiles. They're in exile because of his work. They are suffering because of his work. They are in him. He describes them as elect. In verse 14 of the same chapter, he says, as obedient children. Okay? So, those that he has chosen, but what are they chosen for? To grow in holiness as obedient children. Chapter 2. How is the church, how are believers described? Verse 4. As you come to him, so he's writing to Christians, as you come to him, a living stone. Who's the living stone? Christ. Rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves are living stones, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are the living stones attached to the living stone. And this is temple language here. We're the spiritual temple of God the Holy Spirit. We're being raised up as a temple with a priesthood, with sacrifices, all bound into Christ. Therefore then, it goes on, verse 9, chapter 2, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once, verse 10, you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Sometimes people trip up over election because they don't necessarily have a proper understanding of it. But in every case, election is tied to mercy. Everywhere you see election mentioned, mercy is mentioned right there. Once you were not a people, now you are. Once you didn't have mercy, now you are. It all falls back to God. And the language that is used here was originally used for the people of Israel in a covenant relationship with God. But now it's clearly talking to Christians. Tied to Christ. And Christ is the fulfillment of all that came before. Okay? So this is how we are as the people of God. Living stones, covenant people, obedient children, chosen. How are we to live? And then he talks about how we live out the greatness of the salvation. We live out with uh, showing respect and following our leaders and serving one another 
and suffering love for Christ. Okay? Everything in the Christian life always goes back to God and His grace revealed to us in Christ. So there's never any room for boasting on our heart, ever. And so, that's you know, humbling because we, we want we want our part. God says there's no room for boasting in our presence. If we're in His presence, it'll be all because of Him. And yet, it's not like we're dimwits or robots. We actively engage and love God with heart, soul, mind, and strength because He's given us the strength to do that and commands us to do that. And so in that mystery of how they interplay, in the mind of God, it works out. But we may not figure it out in our minds. We just take the language as it is. I personally rejoice in it. Take comfort in it. Take grace in it. If John MacArthur, <laughs> I heard say, said if you could lose your salvation, you would. <laughs> so thankfully, my salvation is not dependent upon me. But the past, present, and future is based completely on Christ. And I can just enjoy it. Because I enjoy him, I can obey him. Because I obey him, I can experience his blessings within the context of the church that he's pulled together. Okay? So as we continue on, what, what are some things that are unique? I'm going to try to get the second Peter today, please, briefly. We've already talked about it, the emphasis on the sufferings of Christ. It's interesting, in chapter 2, he quotes almost word for word from Isaiah chapter 55. 53. Okay? Emphasis on the atonement, what Christ accomplished for us, and then he moves on to the practical. You will suffer. Here's how I handle suffering. Suffer because you're a Christian, not because you're hard-headed. Suffer because you're a Christian, not because you just have opinions. Suffer because you're a Christian, not because what it says on your voting card is of a certain party. Okay? Because ultimately it's the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean don't be active. It doesn't mean be salt and light. It, doesn't, it, it just means keep the proper focus of what ultimately matters. Okay? Kingdom of God. So what, what are the key verses then that I would pick for this? I mean, obviously this book is so full of great truth. Preparing your minds for action. Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you see the, the future salvation here? The hope that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We're engaged now as we suffer. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial that comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. Uh, rooted in Christ. Suffering for Christ because Christ suffered for us and empowers us to suffer for Him. It's still a message that rings true. Um... I don't know how, how many of you are familiar with the ministry Voice of the Martyrs. Voice of the Martyrs, the Barnabas Fund. Do some looking. Find out what's happening to brothers and sisters in different parts of the world. They're suffering for their faith. 
and pray for them. I was listening to a testimony the other day. Huh? Yeah, sure. How, how are they suffering? I mean, because they're Christians. They're denied jobs, they're imprisoned, they're beaten up, they're denied education uh, because, because they're Christians. Oh, wow. So, um, I was listening to a testimony the other day, and I'm trying to remember where I heard it. I think it was a podcast that I was listening to from the Gospel Coalition. And they're talking about um, their experiences, reviewing 2021, I think that's what it was, the main theological stories of 2021, and they were talking about the suffering church. And how one of the one of the contributors had just come back from overseas talking to people. They said, you know, we were with suffering Christians. And we said, we're going to get the church in America to pray for you. And they said, how do you want us to pray for you? So how, what do you think they asked for? To stay faithful. To stay faithful to Jesus. They didn't ask to be set free. They didn't ask for their best life now. They didn't ask for things to be easy. They didn't ask for a fat bank account. They didn't ask for a house sitting on top of the hill. They said, pray we stay faithful to Jesus and serve well. My God. Father, help us. You know, because they, they have a grasp on what really matters. And that's what Peter would do. That's what he was saying. He was saying, you're going to suffer, suffer because it's a Christian, but hang on. You read verse, uh, chapter 5. Humble yourselves, therefore, in the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time you may exult you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Stand firm. And God can always keep you strong and restore anything that you feel like you have lost. But if you suffer for Christ and live for Christ, you have found ultimately you didn't give up anything. But that He has given to you all things. Because you have Him as your Any questions on 1 Peter or things you'd like to bring up? Okay, let's move on to 2 Peter. I don't know if I have enough handouts. I hope some of you brought your books with you today. Um, does anyone need a book? No, I'm good. I just have a question. Okay. What's a good definition of amen? Okay. It is true. Okay. Thank you. Or, or let it be, or so be it. Okay. Because when I was growing up, I thought it would be good. You thought it again. Yeah. No, that... Now, truly is how it's often translated, or verily <laughs> in the King James. And verily is coming straight from the Latin on that. Where's the truth? Um, truly, like we saw in the Gospel this morning, truly I say to you, and John is how often repeated. Truly, truly I say to you, it's amen, amen. Okay. 
I say to you. Because when I read, read Revelations when I was younger, it says amen at the end of it. What? Yeah. At the very end of the sentence. Yeah, as it often does in Paul's books as well. Yeah. So it's appropriate. It is, so be it. Because what are we praying for when we pray? We're praying for God to show himself, for God to be glorified, for God to provide for us as he has promised. Uh, for us to grow in our faith, etc., etc., we say, Amen, so be it. It may come, let it be. But it's also, I just, uh, we're not used to putting it at the beginning. Yeah. So Jesus is going to show us, He's going to keep putting it at the beginning. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Anyone else need the notes for 2 Peter? You're all good? Continue the same theme of false teachers, false teachings, not so much in the context of persecution in 2 Peter, but of the fact that there's just been a lot of wrong stuff that's coming to the church. On the one hand, that grieves us, which it should. Just honestly, if, if most of what is called Christian television just went off the air this afternoon, there would be very minimal effects of the kingdom of God, except in a positive way. So much false teaching that goes out. I was teaching at the seminary in the Middle East with a lot of my students. The first thing I had to do was reprogram them from a lot of the Christian television they've been exposed to. They bring them back to biblical faith. They brought in some type of prosperity gospel, some type of hyper-Pentecostalism, some type of thing where they were completely unbalanced with what the scriptures were teaching. They didn't even have a, a, an understanding of scripture. It was all experience-driven, experience-based. I had to reprogram them from a lot of that healing back in the scriptures. And I fear it's the same for a lot of North American Christians as well. They're, they're into the entertainment of Christian television. Not necessarily doing the hard work of knowing the Word of God. Well, Peter's dealing with that in this chapter. He knows that Jesus has promised in Mark and Matthew 24 that there would be false teachers. Uh, Paul, in his own life, as he met with the Ephesians at the end, he said, I, I won't see you again, but I fear that there will be false teachers that will rise from among you. History tells us that that happened. Um, Peter knows that he's about to die. If you read verse 14, he says, Since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as the Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. He's in the Roman prison. He's about ready to die. He wants to write to a church to say, Hang on to what is true. Okay? We're not going to worry so much about the argument about authorship. But we know that Peter died at the hands of Nero. Not sure exactly how he died. He died a martyr's death. I, I showed, shared with you the story from history, the apocryphal story of how he tried to flee and went back into town. We don't know if that's the case. Um, but he did die a martyr's death, a different type of death. History does seem to indicate that he was crucified upside down. Um, I'm trying to just pass through my notes here where we're discussing whether Peter can be the author or not. Did Peter write the letter? Well, let's look at 2 Peter 3.1. 
He says, see what kind of love the Father has given me. No, I'm in the wrong chapter. Flipped over one book, sorry. 2 Peter 3, 1. He says, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you. <laughs> so, I'm willing to take the word at its word, what it says he wrote too. Here's the second one. I, I'm always humored by some of the arguments that people bring up about why so-and-so couldn't write the book. <coughs> And what is he writing about? It breaks down quite nicely. It talks about them growing in salvation. If you look at chapter 1 of 2 Peter. Chapter 1 2 Peter verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All things. So... In Christ, we have everything we need to grow in our salvation. In Christ, we have everything we need to know His will and how to live for Him. And then He goes on. Grow, okay? In all these things. Um, we have His promises, verse 4. Now, grow in what? Faith and virtue and knowledge. And so, you get the idea that He wants to see us growing in our faith? Because we're rooted in Christ, rooted in His grace, let's grow in faith. Because, why? Verse 11, for in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Do you see salvation past, present, and future here? What has happened to us at the beginning? What we grow in? And what's going to happen? Okay? Verse 12, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them. We're established in the truth. I think it is right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that putting off my body will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able to recall at any time these things. Remember, 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 remember. Remind. Don't forget. Kind of like us today. We have to hear things again and again and again and be reminded. And in the midst of battle, we need to hear them again. And we need to give our lives to remind people of what is our salvation. He's going to spend all of chapter 2 criticizing false teachers. And it's, it's brutal, this language. But he is serious about this. He's going to face the Lord soon. He doesn't want to leave anything left undone, unsaid. He wants the church to stay pure to the gospel. And so he's warning about these false teachers. This has been a problem from the very beginning. You know, in our day and age, it's not considered tolerant to talk about truth and error. But unfortunately, we don't have a choice. We have to talk about truth and error. Because almost every book in the New Testament talks about truth and error. Talks about false teachers. Talks about false teachings. Talks about following those that lead to faith. Talks about how to grow. So we can't have a limitless the gospel. We have to have a gospel that is firm and full of God's strength and grace and stands firm to the end. That makes us uncomfortable. And it should because ultimately we shouldn't feel comfortable in this world because we're being prepared for the new heavens and the new earth, as it says at the end of 2 Peter, wherein righteousness dwells. 
okay? We should always have a degree of discomfort in this world because this world is in hostility to God and His righteousness. So, he talks about knowledge versus false knowledge. Can we use the word knowledge or to know at least 16 times? Knowing the truth of God, knowing God, knowing Christ. He reminds them what the truth is. He wants them to have a vigorous, rigorous understanding in their minds of the gospel, living it out as their heart is empowered by grace, and living it out with their hands. But then there's a false knowledge. And that makes us all a little nervous because the temptation is there to satisfy the itchy ears. To listen to what we want to listen to. To listen to what just kind of affirms what we already know. Without necessarily challenging us about what we don't yet know. But need to know. <coughs> so how can we help each other grow in that? This is an open question. I don't have any notes right here. What you say? How can we help each other grow in discerning true knowledge versus false knowledge? Yeah. We speak truth to each other and we use scripture to speak truth. Okay. Yeah, we speak the word of God to each other. We see that in Paul's writings, right? Speaking to one another with what? Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Okay. What else do we do? <clears throat> yes. Discernment. Discernment. Okay. And, and, Holy Spirit. and how do we discern? Well, God reveals it to us. Okay, and how does he reveal it to us? Through his spirit. In the word. Through the scripture. Always in tune with the scripture. Yeah. The spirit gave the word so that we could understand the word and how to apply the word. Okay. Scripture should measure Yes. Yes. And if we have everything we need in Christ, that means then we've been given this complete revelation. So now we seem to learn and grow on how to apply what he's already given. Okay? Um, share good podcasts, share good teaching with friends, and just send them links. Point each other the good sources of knowledge yes. and information, right? And not be afraid to go, are you sure about that? Right. <laughs> Correct one another with scripture. Yeah. In love, right? Speaking the truth in love, right? Um, I shared this with somebody earlier today. You know, we all were bombarded by news, right? So where can we find good news? Well, on the one hand, we know where the good news is. But I'm going to recommend a podcast that I listen to every morning. The World and Everything In. By the World News Group. About 30 to 35 minutes. You get in your app store. The World and Everything In. It, um, it says its objective is to uh, inform, educate, and inspire. It is a gospel-centered, biblically-focused news program that also has special features and different things that focus on both within our country and globally. It's a positive source for news, getting from a Christian worldview. Okay? Carol can testify. It's part of my morning routine. <laughs> so, I don't... I try to stay away from broadcast media. It's my personal conviction because I don't find most of the sources particularly useful. So I want to look for good sources of information that will help me understand things from a biblical point of view. So yeah, discerning. 
First, the recognition that there can be false knowledge. <laughs> there could be the actualization that we have believed false knowledge. Or we have believed something that is false. Right? Because the fact of the matter is we all have. So now we have to go back to the word and say, I need my mind transformed. I need my mind conformed to the word of God. Okay? And then we have the challenge to live a holy life. So think about, he's in prison. He knows he's going to die soon. The important things, the lasting things are on his mind. Know the truth. Live a holy life. Stay away from false teachers. All of chapter 2 about false teaching. Read through it and it's probable that you'll have images or pictures or remembrances of certain teachers that you have seen on TV that will flash across the screen of your mind as you see the descriptions of some of these teachers in 2 Peter 2. There were false teachers then. There are false teachers now. It's what we need the communion of saints to stand close to one another and love over one another. Um, in warning against the signs of false teachers, one of one of the professors, I didn't sit under his teaching, but I read some of his commentaries when I was at seminary. And his commentary on this, he gives eight signs, characteristics of false teachers. I won't give all of them, but they're teaching error. They're usually very popular. They usually have great charisma, great personality. They're motivated by greed. And oftentimes it's based on things they've made up in their imaginations. And I, boy, that covers a lot of the passage for Christian television. Because they've strayed away from the truth and pure word of God that's been given. Um, I want to go ahead and close out today because we're going to do something different next week. I had promised this hour to teach people on baptism. So... Y'all are welcome to be here next week. We're going to do a deep dive into baptism, but I want to get candidates ready for a baptism service, and this seems to be the best time to do it. So, he talks about the unique place that Scripture has in the faith. He says, we did not believe cleverly invented tales, but we met the Word of God Himself. That Scripture was not given as a result of personal interpretation, but was given under the inspiration of God the Holy Spirit. As he says in chapter 1, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but man, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so that's how we receive the Word of God, as God the Holy Spirit moved through these men that He had chosen to work through. And now we have the Word of God as that unique place. And He says that this has even a higher value to Him than His experience with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. That the Word of God is a surer word than that. Okay? That tells me then that the written Word of God trumps my personal experience. That I need to, everything needs to be filtered through by the written Word of God. So, what are some things we'd miss out if we didn't have this book? Well, it makes a clear declaration that Paul wrote Scripture. He says well, there are many things in Paul's letters that are hard to understand, and people just misinterpret them, just like they do the other Scriptures. He talks about the coming judgment. He talks about that the way we live somehow has an impact on the Lord's return. 
something I can't quite put together in my mind, but he says you hasten the day of the Lord. I think this means is you bring the truth to all corners of the earth that uh, that accentuates, as it were, the time of the Lord's return. Um, so therefore, these are the two key passages that I see as unique. We understand them, we understand the message of the book. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly rewarded for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then, the hope of our future salvation, since all these things are just thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to His promise, we are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth, in which righteousness dwells. It talks about what we have to look forward to in the renewal of all creation. <coughs> As Christ redeems and restores all that was lost in Adam, including the new creation. Second Peter has a lot of controversial statements in it. Um, they're fun to discuss, but at the end of the day, the main message of Second Peter is very clear. And so we should focus on the main plain things and some of the other things. We have a minute of humility. Not maybe, not, not quite sure. We're sure of what we're sure of, and the rest of the open to know for Any questions? I, I don't see any of his comments that would lead you to think that he thought he was going to become the great acknowledged leader of the church. You know, that he was going to get oh. some get some honor forever. Right. In fact, the only time that there was something that implied that was when he was in the presence of Cornelius, and a man bowed and said, Stand up, I'm but a man myself. So I wasn't like, kiss my ring, put on, put on the hat, get the scepter out. I was raised in that tradition. Really? Until he was 18. Wow. So I, did, I know who the leader of the church is. The Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I, I love Peter. I look forward to fellowshipping with Peter in heaven one day and around the Lord's table. I had great discussions with him, but he will merely be a fellow brother in Christ, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, just as I am. And I will enjoy getting to hear about his experiences and getting to know him, but he has no special place beyond what the Lord gave him to do in preaching the gospel to the Jews, the Samaritans, and the Gentiles. And he kind of fades off. So, Neither does Mary. Neither does Mary. But she's not mentioned in 2 Peter, so I'm not worried about it. Just their assignments. Just their assignments. They were faithful, and we blessed them because they were faithful, and we learned from them. But they're going to be our brothers and sisters in Christ one day around the throne. We all gathered for them. So even in fact, like his name keeps getting listed first, and he's redeemed, and he's put ahead, or he's had special experiences with Christ. Them. It's just to show how God used him. Yes, none of that. But none, none of it's inherited in him. Go in, in right. leader, he doesn't inherit that. Right. No, well, it's pretty. When he knows he's about ready to be strung up, it's hard to have a high view of himself. <laughs> but he does really want to have a high view of Christ. 
And before you sign in here, somebody's probably going to pick up a car, the whole thing's washed by now. And the table of goodies is out there. They're waiting for you. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. Father, thank you for such a great salvation you've given us in Christ. Thank you for these examples. This example of Peter, how he used a very imperfect man. And you use them for your good, your great glory, and the good of your people. We can still learn from that example today. Father, I pray that we would be those living stones. And as those living stones showing the greatness of the, the church that Christ is building. Father, would it all be about Him. Would people be drawn to Christ. Would you use us to serve Him well this week? And be vessels through which people hear the truth. So that you would be lifted up. And Jesus would be honored. Let me pray. Ask you for your peace now. Jesus. Thanks, everyone.